Well, welcome to Books in the Fraser, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I am joined by author Rachel Harrison to discuss her latest novel, Cackle. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to to be here and to get to talk to you. I am so excited. Uh, Cackle is one of those books, like when I read the description, I, you know, did an episode basically just reading like synopses that I'm excited for. And I'm like, oh, I need this. This synopsis sounds so good. And I had several people say like they also, after hearing the synopsis, like needed it. Uh, But for those people who are unaware, can you tell us a bit about Cackle? Sure. So Cackle is like a wry, weird, dark, contemporary witch book. Uh, It's about Annie Crane, who was just dumped by her boyfriend, who she's been with basically her whole 20s. And now she just turned 30 and she's single and she is not happy about it. She can't afford to keep living in New York City. So she takes a new teaching job upstate, finds an apartment, attempts to be optimistic, She is deeply insecure and self-deprecating and doesn't have much faith in herself or the future. But then she meets Sophie, who is beautiful and confident. She's this mysterious local woman who takes an instant liking to Annie, and they form a friendship. And as they get closer, Annie's life will take a very strange and unusual turn. Mm. I loved Cackle. Oh, I'm very happy to hear that. (laughs) I like need this made into a movie because I feel like if this was made into a movie, it would be like my new comfort movie. Who who would you? I'm interested because some people early reactions are like, I pictured this person as Sophie. Did you have like a cast in your in your mind? (laughs) So I I said Jennifer Connelly. That's because I was like taking it very seriously. I yeah, I'm like, who is working right now that is like this age at this time? Like if I was a casting agent, like who am I looking at? Who did you picture? Like, did you have anybody in mind? I think there's a lot of women who could play Sophie, but kind of my my into the character was um watching Rachel Weiss in The Favorite. Like her, her in that movie just like She's very self-possessed and graceful. And I could very much see, like, if I were in a room with her, just being, like, jaw on the floor, just, like, in awe of her and everything that she is. So that was my into the character in terms of, um, like, personality and having that mystique. But physically, I, you know, I, I knew I wanted her to be, like, crazy beautiful, but I didn't have a specific person in mind oh I really like that I can totally see that she kind of has that going for her in my cousin Rachel too I don't know have I seen that one I feel like everything she's in she (laughs) just brings this like where you're just like there's just something about that x factor that's something about her where you're like I want her to hug me yeah and hold me and tell me everything's going to be okay but like I'm also very attracted to her like it's just like a very strange (laughs) mix of emotions and I really need her to like me yes that like if if she looked at you and was like come here pet you'd be like yes whatever you want me to do I'll do it (laughs) I'm yeah putty in your hands whatever you want yeah absolutely so cackle and the return both deal a bit with 
female friendships do you find that to be an important theme within horror i think it's an important theme in in general i think it, horror is a good avenue to explore anything and everything and for me when i was writing the return i was in the same place as those characters and kind of dealing with the same issues in my friendship where we were all very very close but we didn't live nearby and our lives were going different places and developing at different rates and there was real struggle there that I think I used horror to explore and with Cackle I started writing Cackle on my 30th birthday and it starts on Annie's 30th birthday and it was kind of me dealing with the fact that I like I'm not in my 20s anymore I feel like a lot of growing up a lot of the narratives that we take in um, are like either you're the young beautiful ingenue or the crusty old witch and I think I started reckoning with that around my birthday where I was like why why are we kind of placed in these two buckets and when I was in high school, I befriended a few like older girls who I, I was really shy and awkward and not super confident in myself. And through those friendships, I was able to kind of discover things about myself and have that growth. And I think when you're in your teenager years, that's really important. And then like when I was turning 30, I was like, I kind of wish there was an example that I could like some magical person could take me under their wing and show me that like the next chapter is going to be just as amazing and there's just as much opportunity and you get to decide what your life looks like and nobody gets to tell you what your worth is and so this book deals a little bit more with mentorship than I think the return did. They're both different forms of friendship, but um, this one is a little bit more specific, this dynamic of having, you know, just two friends and one is older and in a way different place and kind of being the the big sister or the cool aunt to Annie's character, which is a little bit of wish fulfillment for me. Yes, I absolutely loved their whole dynamic maybe I just related to it a lot because I got, I've also recently turned 30 and I was like yeah like this book was made for me specifically at this moment at this time yeah it's hard I think you know we as a society treat women a little bit differently as they get older um and you know I like when you I think like on my birthday around my birthday I started getting like I got like an ad for like anti-aging cream and I was just like I don't want this to be a stress in my life, especially because I feel like when I was a teenager or in my early 20s, I thought I'm going to get to a point in my life where I'm not going to be like so hard on myself about the way I look, where I'm going to like be comfortable in my own skin, um, where I'm not going to get zits. And like I just like pictured like this version of adulthood and then I like here I was like entering my 30s and I'm like I'm very proud of the like growth and development I've had over my 20s but like you kind of realize 
the growth never ends. You don't get to this magic point where you're like, I'm a complete human and like <laughs> everything's great. Like it's work to be a person, it's work to be a human and it's hard sometimes to, to be able to carry yourself and pick yourself up and feel good about yourself. And so that was a little bit of like what I was feeling. And I think it's very much reflected in the book, that kind of angst of, oh shit, like I'm not gonna get to this point where I feel good. Like I'm gonna have to work for the rest of my life to be okay with myself. And, and how do I do that? And how do I move forward as a person and continue to grow without, you know, as quite as much of the, the struggle. And, and I think a lot of women spend a lot of their lives hating themselves. And, you know, if you're not going to magically grow out of that, you have to pull yourself out of that. This episode is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro FM is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best. Booksellers. I mean, and us. We also have a playlist on there full of books that have been recommended on this podcast. Books in the Freezer special offer, you get two audiobooks for the price of one, just $14.99, with your first month of membership using code FREEZERBOOK. This offer is valid for new members in Canada and the United States. Thank you, Libro FM, for supporting the show. It It is, and I, I mean, one of the things I also liked about Cackle, and I think especially for this millennial generation, is I think the anxiety at this point in our life that there is a certain way our life should look and when what happens when we don't have those things like you know when we hit a big milestone like 30 and we're not like in Annie's case like in a stable relationship you know we're not and that 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 was a big thing with her that she wasn't in a long-term relationship and I just loved her whole ordeal with Sophie with that and just coming to her own in this little in this cute little town I just loved it (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, Annie embodies a lot of fears and anxieties I I had. Um, and I, I, my like little childhood pudding brain watching all of these Disney movies and consuming all of these fairy tales and wanting to be a princess, I growing up thought that my only way to be happy was to find love and to like meet Prince Charming and that would complete and validate me. I drank that Mm Kool-Aid and I think when I met my, my now husband when I was in my early 20s, met, fell in love and I was like, hmm, 
I still have problems. Like I, I didn't, it was like a surprise to me that I finding love and who I wanted to spend my life with didn't, you know, turn the pumpkin into a carriage. Like I still wasn't fulfilled in my career. Like I still had problems, didn't magically cure my insecurities. Made me feel, makes me feel good about myself, but you know, somebody who loves you telling you you're beautiful, if you don't believe you're beautiful, you're not going to be able to accept that compliment. And so mm-hmm. I felt a little bit jaded, like the rug was pulled out from underneath me that, you know, happily ever after wasn't what I thought it was. And I think Annie is kind of how I explore those those fears and and beliefs and unravel them in in fiction, in a a narrative that I wish I had when I was younger, um, because I had to figure it out myself and it was a rude awakening. And I think Annie is kind of the, but I figured it out in a rude awakening in a stable relationship, which is kind of easier because you don't have that pressure from society being like, oh, you're single? And she, she has that. So it was a little bit me working out some some childhood issues, which pretty much all writing is. But um, yeah, that's Annie. And Annie is, for better or worse, um, very much me. <laughs> like She's very similar to me. She's like a lot of her inner monologue is just thoughts that I've had. So um, yeah, hopefully I wanted to, like, I didn't want this book to be too heavy. I, mm-hmm. I like to write humor and I make myself laugh so (laughs) I hope um, other people will find it entertaining too but I think the return is a bit heavy and I go into some more intense intense territory and um, it's kind of fortuitous that cackle is a little bit I think lighter in tone because um, after what we've all been through the past year and a half I think a good fun entertaining book is is what people are looking for instead of like well maybe some people still want to delve deep deep into the darkness but um something lighter for spooky season I think it's good timing oh I definitely believe so and I am here for all the authors working out their issues via making like great art yeah it, it definitely has a lightness and I I really liked Annie's inner monologue. I found it very relatable. And I mean, I mentioned earlier, I think if this was a movie, it would be my comfort movie because I feel like there's just so much with the like witchiness, so much domesticity and like cozy, like, oh, we're like making this big like chicken dinner in the way that just, I know, like cottagecore was big on like TikTok. And I'm like, this is, this is that, this is those feelings. And I love that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting reading it back where I was like, you know, I I think part of my I wrote this in like the fall winter of 29 2018. Yeah. Eh, I don't know. What is time anymore? But I wrote this before the pandemic and I edited it, edited it during the pandemic. So some of the stuff where they're like going out and getting coffee. I was like, it was very much wish fulfillment. Um, But yeah, it is a cozy book. 
And I, I don't know. I, I didn't set out to be like, oh, this is going to be cozy horror or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely turned out, turned out to be that, uh, which is interesting. I always like when I wrote, when I finished writing Cackle, I was like, huh, okay. Like <laughs> I, I was like, I have no idea how people are going to react to this. I just was like, well, guess we'll see. I genuinely had no idea um, because it's, it's a weird book. Um, it's, yeah, it's got some, some weird stuff in it. And so like it's, it's cozy. And then at the same time, there are some moments where it's like, where did I even come up with that? <laughs> what corner of my brain did that crawl out of? And that's what makes it great. It's a good balance of levity and then like, oh, that was, that's dark. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of how I am as a human being. So it's, I, I, when I didn't really have any copies and I just, I got like a few extra arcs. So I sent one to my mom and to my best friend and both of them were like, it's a very you book. Like, it's very you, um, which feels right. So I hope people like it because they don't know. Feel like it's a per. I'll I'll take it very personally. I'm kidding, but it is the. There's so much of me and Annie, and I think, um, in the tone where I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it and see what happens. I think it worked. Uh, did the veil also came out this year, right? The short story. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I think the veil is also very similar to Cackle in tone. Yeah, you're right. I do. I do see the similarities there. Very different like type of story, but I guess thematically. Yeah, thematically and in terms of like the balance of darkness and and humor. Maybe The Veil is a bit more humorous. When you wrote the short story, did you know it was going to be like an audio only production? No, I didn't. Um, I so The Veil takes place at a living history museum and it's based on Genesee country village and museum, which is in Western New York. And I went there years ago, I visited and I was like this, and I went and the first house you walk in, I walk into this like historical house you, that they have just a village of old houses that they've brought to this one place. I walk in and I see a coffin in the living room and I was like Ugh! and then I turn around and there's this woman all in black in like Victorian morning garb and she's like welcome to the death house and I was like what is I thought like people were gonna be like churning butter and I'm in the death house it was crazy <laughs> and I, I was like one day I'm gonna write a story about this but I it took a while for me to find my in and I wrote it um in the spring of 2020 and I, I was kind of, with my short stories, short stories, it's hard to know, like, can you get it placed? What's going to happen with it? And um, my agent sent it to audible and yeah, it went from there. And the narrator we got is just incredible. And she does such a good job. And it's just like, it's perfect in a way that I didn't expect it to be so perfect. So um, yeah. I, Lisa, Louisa Krauss is the editor. Um, yeah, I, I loved 
listening to her read the story and she just brought so much to it. Um, it was, it's a really strange and rewarding experience listening to somebody read your work. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really proud of that. I think that came out really, really great. I think so too. I had a really good time with it. Well, thank you for listening. What is your personal relationship with horror as a genre? So horror, I, I recently realized that if my life was a rom-com, horror is like my childhood best friend who I don't realize I'm in love with. For, and for years and years, we're close and keep bumping into each other. And then finally, finally, we have that moment where we kiss in the rain and we're like, we're in love. Is it, I had like my I love Josh moment with horror in college where throughout my whole childhood, I was always fascinated by horror, but I'm very easily scared. So I would see something and I or read something and I would be deeply affected by it and terrified by it. But I, I would keep wanting to like pick at the scab of my terror. And I told myself like, I can't handle this. It, it like, it makes me feel too much. And then when I was in college, I was a screenwriting major and there was a screenwriting contest and it was a horror screenwriting contest. So that's kind of the first time I really immersed myself into the genre. Um, and my, one of my closest friends in college is a huge horror fan and, um, sit us down when, when sat us all down one weekend and made us watch um, the the Kubrick Shining and then the uh, the TV version like all in one weekend and and she really schooled me and I think that's when I realized you know I've been running away from you my whole life but actually I love you <laughs> I love that that could be a movie into itself yeah me and and the horror genre me and flashback to childhood me just like crying in the fetal position in my room because of the Blair Witch Project to me now being like <laughs> blood guts spiders I know I watched the, the Blair Witch Project as a child and it was also a traumatizing experience <laughs> yeah and I so I watched we had moved into a new house in the woods and didn't have window treatments we had like just moved and I watched that movie I must have been like 11 and yeah, that night, just seeing all the like shadows of trees coming into my room, just being like, absolutely not. Yeah, that one. And I feel like it came out um, like if, if you're a, a millennial, it came out at such a time when like those found footage movies weren't big yet. So it really like really was like this cultural wave um, that we're like, is it real? And that kind of intrigue really messes with a, with a preteen, I'll tell you. Oh, it did. Yeah, it did. I fully thought it was real. And I was like, I just watch people die. That's fine. <laughs> Mom, why are you letting me watch this? We got to return it to Blockbuster. I saw it in theaters and I'm like looking at all these people like judging it and they're like, it was fine. And I'm like, I don't know if we can have opinions about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be life. like the, the actors were kind of annoying. It's like, what if they weren't actors? What if they're still in those <laughs> lives? You went to the, you saw it in the theaters when you were eight or nine. 
I talked about this on a previous episode, but uh, when my when I was younger, my parents like just didn't. I don't know if they just didn't have connections or anything, but they like did not get babysitters, and they did not let that stand in their way of them going uh, to the movies. And they thought that just them covering my eyes and covering my ears during whatever parts would be enough. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think. I think we should look back and thank them because my mom, yeah. I like watched Jaws when I was under, I watched Jaws and Alien and Aliens when I was under five. I have like some of my earliest memories are watching mm-hmm. those movies. And, you know, it worked out for us now, but it's, it's not having that filter when you're young, you know, If you survive the nightmares into adulthood, then you're probably a little messed up, but mostly okay. (laughs) Yeah, well, then it also has that thing where it becomes something that I am intrigued by and I want to keep going back to. Like, you know, you eat something that's like super spicy, but then you're like, I don't know, but I kind of want a little more of it, though. (laughs) Yeah, it's good for I, I think kids should be exposed to to more things when they're younger. Um because I think they can handle it. And, and the more you shelter children, again, like I watched Jaws, but it was the Disney movies that fucked me up way more in the long run. So. That's funny. Yeah, that is that is a, a funny thing to think about. Um, my son is like very sensitive and he was really into dinosaurs for a bit. So I thought I would, we would watch Jurassic Park and um, we did not end up finishing it. Oh, like, okay. Aww. We will put that away. Aww. <laughs> or perhaps another time. There's a Jurassic Park reference in Cackle, actually. It's one line, but it's in there. A little gem for people if they're listening. <laughs> to a little Easter egg. <laughs> you get to go look for it. Yeah. With the podcast, you know, there is the scariness scale. And I just want to know, are there any books that you would put in the freezer? Let me th- I, There's definitely moments of books that that get me. Um, Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas is, I'd say it's more speculative fiction than horror, but there's a few mm. moments in that book that like chilled me to my core. I'm very sensitive to, to dread and not knowing what's going to happen um, because I'm very type A. And so like my worst nightmare is to like not know, <laughs> like, not have something on the schedule. So there's a few moments in that book that really, really got me. Um, Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss is another one where I was like, the dread was just, yeah, it makes me like itchy almost where the dread just builds so much. I like don't know what to do with myself. Um, so those, those two books got me, but those are more speculative. I, I think they kind of sit on the, on the border of horror. And, uh, but I mean, The Shining is kind of generic to give King as an answer, but the the moment in The Shining with the hedges where they move when you're not looking, that always gets me. That's one of my things where it's like you turn around and it's closer. That, yeah, that's spicy. Um, And then um, the remaking by Clay McLeod Chapman. He, he, he's, he knows how to scare me. He's a, uh, I love his work and the remaking um, has a few, a few scenes where it's like, yeah, like I'm going to hide under my blanket. 
So um, if you haven't read any of those, not you, listeners, (laughs) everybody check those out. I still have to read the remaking. I read uh, his new one, Whisper Down the Lane, and I really liked it. But I have the remaking on my shelf, so you'll yeah, it's to get to it. That one's a it's a really good one. It's he's got a good balance of it being being fun, like fun to read and entertaining, but also like not doubling down on the scares. Like it has its moments. Um, yeah, that's a great one, and it's a quick read. His books move pretty quickly; they're really really fast paced. So, highly recommend. Oh yeah, I remember that scene in The Shining also gave me the creeps too. It is such an effective scene. Yeah, and especially because I I saw the the movie. Um, I think so. I and I can't. Re- I feel like the TV version is truer to the books and has the actual hedge animals. Mm-hmm. But I think it was it was a TV movie that was made, you know, twenty years ago. So the the CGI is kind of cheesy so it wasn't as scary um but i reading the scene it's just the way that it's written it's it's really he's the king for a reason yes um i don't know it's that type of horror that like things are moving when we're not looking at them like dolls freak me the heck out even as even as an adult like i just don't trust them dolls Ooh. well they're just always there like i don't know i feel like when i'm not looking they're they're doing something. Interesting. Interesting. Is that a rational thought? No. I might have something for you in the future. I might oh, have no. something for you in the future. <laughs> oh, no. My grandma had this room that was just full of dolls. And that was the room I had to sleep in when I went to her house. No, no. It's <laughs> terrible. And she had, I don't know if you're familiar with like the timeout dolls. No. They they're like a few feet tall and they have like real hair and they just are facing the wall like they're in time out yes i can picture those oh my god yes those are terrifying i was just waiting for them to turn around i would just stare at them all night long and just wait for them to like turn around and look at me (laughs) yeah i'm gonna that's gonna get me tonight i'm gonna like there's this dark corner of my bedroom and I know tonight when I inevitably get up to pee in the middle of the night. On the way back, I'm gonna be like, "It's dark in that corner." Is one of those dolls? Oh. Yeah, I stub my toe like, all the time running back into bed from the bathroom in the middle of the night. It's don't I shouldn't have said that because now I'm like Rachel Harrison, horror writer, and I'm like I'm so scared. I stub my toe, losing <laughs> all my credibility. Oh man. I don't know. It's always like the suspicious looking pile of clothes somewhere that's like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I check my closet every night. Oh, yeah. I, it has to be closed. I do not leave it open. Like, doors have to be closed. Like, no. Yeah. I have uh, a few questions from Patreon supporters for you. Cool. So, Casey wants to know are there certain horror subgenres that you tend to gravitate towards? And what are some books that you love in those subgenres? Hmm. I, I mean, I would say the like more dread-inducing, speculative, like I mentioned, um, Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas and Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. Um, I don't know, like the subgenre where it's kind of I don't know, more speculative, more like I don't know how I, I 
I shy away from calling it like literary horror because I don't really like that term because I think it implies that the rest of horror is not literary. Um, but I can't quite like give it a genre. It's more like a vibe. It's I know like, exactly what you're Yeah, saying. yeah. And I, I recently read um, Build Your House Around My Body by Violet Coopersmith. Um, and that book, I could not recommend it higher. It's it's like a ghost story folklore visit from the goon squad. It is so beautiful and so genius and it's just a feat. And I, there are some scenes in that book where I was like, like slipping onto the floor, like what the fuck it is great i highly recommend it um but it, again it's not straight horror um and then um all things cease to appear by elizabeth brundage is kind of another one of those like um like the atmospheric dread inducing horror that's not straight horror but could we get in the category of horror that is um that was actually recently made into a netflix movie um, starring Amanda Seyfried, but they changed the title. Um, and, and I think they kind of tried to double down on the horror, but All Things Cease to Appear is the name of the book by Elizabeth Brundage. And that's another one where I guess like kind of like vibey, dread, atmospheric horror. I don't know, I'm bad at subgenres, I guess. But if you if you were to have read all of those books, you would get... <laughs> what I'm what I'm where I'm going with it yeah I definitely know exactly what you mean have you read uh Lakewood no I haven't who's it by uh, Megan Geddings I want to say I'm not super sure on that okay. last name so I'm gonna look it up Megan Giddings I was close I'll add it to my my TBR my formidable TBR uh, but yeah it definitely has those vibes with like medical experimentation. Ooh, is it is it like? Well, you know what I I I consider I'm pretty squeamish, but I just read a, a really good book um, that gets into some anatomy stuff, and I survived, so I'll live. It's not like egregious. I would say like it's pretty. Again, purple. here I am being like I'm really squeamish, but if like you read the like lat climax of the return, you're like, where do you get off, lady? I love that. Uh, Jocelyn says, as someone who was born and raised in the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York, I really appreciate your choice of settings. What about upstate New York inspires you? Does the setting play a big role in your writing process? Or is it just a place you're comfortable writing about? So I, I moved to Western New York during the pandemic. So now I live in the Rochester area. Um, my husband is from this area. Uh, I think with the return, um, if I lived in uh, Brooklyn for, for about 10 years. Um, so if you live in New York for a long time, pretty much anywhere that isn't Manhattan is upstate. So with the return, I was like, I'm just going to set it in the Catskills. That's north of here. Um, and But what, when I when I started writing Cackle, I had more of an idea of like the greater landscape of New York state. And I think there's a lot 
up here for Western New York, um, little small towns that are really magical. And especially for me, you know, living in New York City for so long, just to like go to like a, a quaint little town is just so, it, it's very charming, but it's also very, it's so different. It's It's scary. It takes some getting used to when you're, you know, used to being around millions of people every day to going somewhere where there's like, you know, in the woods, no one can hear you scream, that kind of thing. Um, this like far removed place. So to me, it, it feels otherworldly almost. And with Cackle, I, I wanted kind of a stars hollow, <laughs> like fairy tale setting for, I wanted it to feel a little bit like folk horror. You know, I, I, I really yeah, love folk horror and I wanted it to have that, you know, fairy tale folk, folklore, perfect, charming little town. Um, atmosphere so and I think New York has plenty plenty of those towns that feel like just on the border of, of maybe being um, a fairy tale or or a, a fairy tale front for something darker I kind of was in a bit of a, a rut for a few months and then I saw uh, Midsummer, and that kind of got my wheels turning again and, and then uh, Cackle came out of that that sort of rush of inspiration well we have a tradition on the podcast to ask all our guests for a chilling obsession or something they are enjoying in horror so what have you been enjoying recently okay i'm gonna go with malignant really for two reasons okay i'm gonna get into spoiler territory so if anyone hasn't seen malignant fast forward a minute so the reason number one I love this movie is because I love horror that gives me an excuse. For example, in Paranormal Activity, the demonologist walks into the house at the end and is like, I'm sorry, the demon doesn't want me here. I have to go. Bye. It might be the greatest moment in all of horror cinema. I said might, so don't come for me, horror fans. But like... How genius is that if you're somewhere and you don't want to be there to just be like, the demon doesn't want me here. I have to go. Like, what a great excuse. <laughs> and so I'm watching Malignant and I'm thinking, next time I'm bitchy or say something snide out loud by accident, I can be like, sorry, it wasn't me. It was my evil parasitic twin. Like, what a great, like, I can just. Like, she has such a great excuse. Like, she could be, like, totally mean to somebody and then be like, it wasn't me, it was Gabriel. And they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. Wow, it must be so hard to be you. And, like, what a brilliant excuse. I love it. I love it. So the next time I'm in a bad mood, I'm just going to be like, it wasn't me. It was my evil parasitic twin that still lives inside my brain. No, I'll feel better about myself. <laughs> okay, but that's me being goofy. Kidding aside, I appreciate Malignant because it's so bananas. And I have such respect for a creator who has like a vision and just goes for it. Um, and the reaction has been really like fun and funny and oddly like moving, I think the horror community is this really cool place. It's like 
constantly expanding and making room for new people and new things and for fresh spins on classics for the you know quote-unquote elevated horror and then for the campy fests and I I I think this is why horror is winning (laughs) because it's so broad and open and open-minded and there's just this wide range and people are ready to embrace it and appreciate it from like the the arty art house horror to like the jail scene and malignant so i i think it's kind of watching it i was like this is why horror is booming because it's it leaves room for this and it's giving me a new excuse whenever i feel like being a bitch so yeah (laughs) that's my chilling obsession my long-winded chilling obsession what were your expectations going into it? Like, did you go into it knowing it was going to be campy or were you just blank, like, no expectations? So I I went to see Insidious in theaters on a date. And, like, the guy paid for my ticket and we got, like, a third of the way through and I was like, I have to leave. <laughs> I was too scared. and so, And then, like, um the conjuring like there's those movies aren't campy i mean a little bit but not not really but so i got a a little bit into malignant and i was like this isn't taking itself seriously like like her husband was so at like crazy where he, it just i was like this is this isn't taking itself seriously And then as it went on, I was like, I'm not supposed to take it seriously either. I'm just supposed to like relax and enjoy. And I think from, from there I was, uh, I was, I was game, but I, I like that it didn't like the trailer didn't prepare you for the camp. Nothing about it prepared you for the camp, which I think is what part of the reason why I'm so obsessed with it and, and kind of the conversation around it, because it was it was just like, I'm going to be who I am and you're going to take me or leave me. And I love art that's like that, where like, you know, James Wan wasn't trying to to satisfy anyone. Like he made that movie for himself. And I love that. And I, I don't know, I could talk about it for a, a, like the conversation around it and the movie itself for a really long time. Because tech, like I'm, I always say that, like, you know, I like horror that's, you know, about something. And I like the A24 movies. My favorite horror movie is The Orphanage, which is very, you know, artistic and and deep. I, I also can like Malignant. And I think a lot of horror fans are like that. And it's because of that that the genre is, like, in such a cool place because people are so open-minded and can aren't snobs where they're like, I can appreciate different kinds of art within the same genre. And yeah. We contain multitudes. Yes, exactly. I really liked it. It was an experience, but I think I was glad that I knew it was camp going into it because I just, I feel like I needed to know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. I, it definitely, cause I watched it like the night it came out. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to watch this. And I wasn't expecting, it took me a little bit to be like, oh, I'm supposed to, I'm like, this is what this is. But um, 
I was still, I was like, okay, like I can roll with the punches. And I, it made me feel, it made me feel cool. It made me feel like, <laughs> you know what? Like, I, and that's, again, that's why I think, you know, horror fans are open. They're not like going to go into something and be like, we can shift gears and be like, oh, I can appreciate this as camp and not be like, how dare that not be an Oscar worthy film? Like, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I just love or the dumb, like it wasn't even scary. Like, I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Chestnut. Yeah. Uh, I just, especially, you know, for me in this place where I think the return and cackle are, are very different. Yes. Um, and so just to, for me, just seeing something, you know, malignant is very different than the conjuring and just being like, you know, everybody out there can just decide what kind of art they want to make and just do it. Mm-hmm. And like, that's going to inspire people and there's plenty of room for it. And I, when I was writing cackle, um, Bunny and uh, the Pisces were two books that inspired me to just be like, oh, actually, I can do whatever the hell I want. Like, I can write whatever book I want to write. I don't need to, like, try and worry about conventions or fitting into a certain, you know, category. I can write the story I want to write and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And so I, I really appreciate art that does that because it, it opens doors for other people to, to, to make bold choices. I like that. It's like inspiring as a creator. Yeah. Even though it's like, like, like the most campy thing ever. (laughs) Like to me, that is really inspiring. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that like, you know, the, the opening of the skull would be like, you know, I feel great. I feel inspired and invigorated watching that like prison massacre scene, but it did. It did. You know, art can be many things. <laughs> For sure. When that, that it can. Um, so I love that. Malignant. Uh, the other thing that we do on this podcast is I ask people for a final girl song uh, for our final girl Spotify playlist. So Rachel, what is your final girl song? So I take my playlist very seriously. And I was going to go with Miss World by Hole. But I saw there was already a Hole song on the playlist. So I was thinking maybe Girl Power by Shampoo would be fun. It's like a bratty Britpop song. And I could very much imagine it playing during like a bloody third act. Like if I if I were a final girl and like I were to like turn around and kick ass in the climax, I would want Girl Power playing, I think. I love that. I am not familiar with that song. I feel like that's always my answer. I'm like, I don't know that song. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit more obscure. It's a, you know, a Britpop song from, you know, you know, I think it came out like 96 or something like that. So, uh, but when you listen to it, I think it'll, I think you'll, you'll like it. Vibes. And, yeah. Like put it like next time you're like leaving to run errands or like, you wake up in the morning and feeling a little sluggish put it on it'll make you feel fun or if it's like a friday night before you go out that one's good too all right will do i will add it to the playlist and people will get to listen to it and it's a great playlist 
I do. I love how different uh, everyone's answers are, but it still kind of has like a, a cohesive vibe. Yes. I Again, I was very much a mixed CD kind of gal when I was <laughs> in my teenage years. So I like appreciate a curated playlist and it feels very cohesive. So it's it's really cool. Yeah, all of the guests have had such great answers. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. It's the best time. I'm going to write more books just so I can come back and talk to you again. Oh, about creepy dolls, creepy timeout dolls that look at me. No. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> You're going to be like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So where can people find you online? Um, so I'm on Twitter at RachFaceLogic, and I'm on Instagram at Rachel Harrison's Ghost, and then my website is rachel-harrison.com. And then Cackle comes out the 5th? Yes, October 5th. Awesome. So everyone, go get your hands on Cackle. And Rachel, thank you again for coming on. Thank you. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. And I make TikToks on, well, the app TikTok at Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. If you would like to support the podcast, there are a few ways to do that. One of them is to become a Patreon supporter on Patreon. So you can check that out. We have like a one, three, and a five dollar level, all kinds of stuff that goes along with that. You can also use the Amazon link that is in the show notes. You just click the link, it takes you to Amazon. You do normal Amazon shopping and the podcast gets a tiny percentage of that. If you would like to support the podcast but not spend any money, you can totally do that. You can share about the podcast on social media or leave a review on a site like Apple Podcasts. So a big thanks to all of you who have done that recently. It's a big help, especially to like small podcasts like this one. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at that's what she read. And that's that's with two A's. So thank you for listening and see you next time on Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 